Thank you, guys. It's great worship. Um, this morning, uh, we will be in Psalms chapter 42. You want to go ahead and, and turn there. Um, and while you get there, um, I just want to tell you a little bit about this past weekend. You, you'll notice that there's um, a few people with, with these shirts on. Um, the youth had a D-Now weekend this past weekend, and um, which is a great great time. We were over at Bowling Springs First Baptist. There was probably 500 um, students and adults um, packed in there between, I think it was five churches, six churches, five or six churches. Um, it was just a great time of worship, a great time of speaking. Um, there were tons of, of students that, that got saved. Um, so it was just a really awesome, awesome weekend. Um, but part of the weekend was a little interesting. And if you'll ask some of our students separately, they may tell you a bit more detail than I'm going to give you, um, but I promise you the detail's interesting. Um, So part of the weekend was we we did service projects. We did a a mission project, and um, ours happened to be. um, Some of you may have driven down um, Old Furnace this morning and noticed that there's little bags all over the road, Um, 15 to be exact, because our our project was we walked down the road and we we cleaned up Old Furnace. little grabbers and brightly colored vests. Um, it, was, it was a fun time for the most part. We got to hang out, laugh, cut up. Um, I think there was a sword fight at one point in time, people picking on each other back and forth. Um, they picked up a bunch of interesting things, and that's where I'm going to leave the details for later. People throw disgusting things out their window. I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, so there's little education moments for, for some of the students. Um, but it's a really long way because we worked from number nine all the way to Hanging Rock, the, the subdivision. So we're out there for probably two, two and a half, three hours. Um, it started off cold because it was windy, but after you pick up that many cigarette butts, it's, you get warm, you get hot. Um, and so we finally get done, we get back to the church. And I have this, this overwhelming sensation of, of just pain shooting through my head. Bad headache. I've, I'm running on maybe, maybe four hours of sleep. And, and while I still like to consider myself young, I'm realizing that my threshold is, is getting closer and closer. I'm not that way anymore. Um, sleeping on a couch in the middle of the youth room with people that snore, it's just it's not a great combo. So between that and uh, being out there um, the, the, all day in the heat and and then realizing at the same time that there was, there was much more to this weekend left. Like, we, we had to go until 9.30, and then Scott called me at lunchtime and said, Hey, I love you, but uh, you have to preach this morning, or, or tomorrow morning. And, and so I had the, the thought of, man, when am I going to study? And so here I am, 3 o'clock, I'm exhausted, got this wicked headache, no end in sight to, to where sleep is going to be. And I, I, I'm, I'm faced with the option, do I go for the water? that obviously is what I need, or do I go for the Dr. Pepper? Because that'll give me a little caffeine, give me a little bit of a boost, maybe cure the headache. So I waited for just a second. I said, ah, I'm going to go with the sugar. I'm going to go with the caffeine. Because it'll pick me up. It'll be a good choice. It's what I need. It's what I, I, I got to hang with the kids. I'm going to be able to function. And so I drink the Dr. Pepper, and almost immediately did I realize I'd made a bad choice. Because what I realized is if you've been working outside for a really long time, you're thirsty and you've got a headache and you're tired and you chug a Dr. Pepper, all it develops is indigestion. 
And so I was no more awake. I was definitely not had my thirst quenched. The headache was still there. And now I have a fire burning within my chest. And that was when I realized I'm getting kind of old. I've got to start taking care of myself a little bit better. Um, it's the wrong, wrong choice. And all it did was reminded me that I should have, I should have just gone with the water. I, I should have just gone with, with the water because it wasn't a caffeine headache or the crazy amount of sleep. It was my body screaming at me, hey, you know that clear liquid stuff that you need to survive? You've not really had any today. Maybe you should give me some. I, I need it. Um, and all I'm, my body was telling me, all I'm going to do is annoy you until you actually drink it. So definitely went and it grabbed me, um, grabbed me some water and, and we moved on throughout the rest of the day and, and as I'm, I'm contemplating what God would have me to share with you guys this morning, that moment was, was brought back to my attention. It, it was that moment that, that God would use to give me the message this morning and not just the message for you guys, but it was that moment that he would use to break me for the rest of the weekend. So we'll pray and then we'll, we'll jump into that. God, I, I don't know the, the, the kinds of situations that walked into this room this morning. There's no way for me to know. Um, and while I know some people and their stories and what they're struggling with, there's no way to know everything. And I believe that it, it, at every point in this in the service, in the congregation, it, there's, there's people at different levels of, of their walk with you. But I, but I know for sure... There are some in here who desperately need to hear from you this morning. They desperately need to hear from you. They don't need to hear from me. They don't need to hear anything that I have to say. They need to hear straight from your word. God, so I pray that you would hide me behind your cross. God, that you would give me the words to say that they would be your words, that I would just be a mouthpiece for the, the message that you would bring this morning. And that you would bring it out of the revelation that you gave me, the, the, just the, the beating that, that I received at, at the hand of this message. God, I pray that that would be the case for every person in this room. God, and that there would be encouragement, and there would be uplifting, and there would be edification that was brought this morning. Because if all I do is stand up here and say empty words, then the kingdom is not furthered. There's nobody that is restored, God. And I know that your word can do that. It's the only thing that can do that. God, so I pray that that happens this morning, that lives would be changed, that, that you would see people and they would hear from you this morning. God, so I ask all these things in your name. Amen. Um, so like I said, we'll be in, in Psalm chapter um, 42 for the first part and then the end, and then in the middle we're kind of going to go a, a few other places. But, but back to thirst. There's, there's two different kinds of thirst. The one that I was experiencing, which was a physical thirst, or needed water desperately. And, and, and I believe also the second option is this, there's a spiritual thirst. You can be spiritually thirsty because spiritually we, we need constant influence from, from God and from the Spirit. We've got to have that. If we go long periods of time w without interacting with God, and I'm not saying uh, come to church, like I'm, I'm talking interacting with the Father because you can come into a building for years and be as parched as a desert. That's, that's not what it takes. It, it takes really experiencing the God that created you. And so there's this spiritual thirst 
as well. And it's, it's the spiritual thirst that I, that I really want to spend our, our time on this morning. And, and I believe as, as we look at the spiritual thirst, there's, there's no better passage to look at that than, than Psalms 42. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 5. It says this, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts, songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. It's a beautiful psalm. Beautiful, and, and, and all the imagery is, is just, is, is just great. He starts out as a, as a deer pants for flowing stream and, and when I think about a, a deer panting you know it's been running sprinting through the woods and it's thirsty it's, it stops to catch its breath and it's it's breathing heavily the, the 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 way that it's moved throughout the woods it's been running it's been using all this energy and it, it longs for the water and it stops and it pants and it's, it's ready to drink it's excited it comes to this body of water and I, and I love that the scripture specifies what kind of water it is it's, it's a flowing stream so this deer isn't running for just any water. He's running for clean water. He's running for pure water. Water that moves is, is, is much fresher. A stagnant pond is gross. That's why Lake Bowen stinks. The water that moves is, is the kind that the deer wants. It's fresh. It's flowing. It's alive. And then and the psalmist compares that. It says, also, so my pants souls for you, O God. Psalmist says, I'm running the race and I'm so desperate, I'm longing, I need to be nourished by, by real water, real spiritual water. I need to have my soul restored. He's, he's longing for it, he's panting for it. His, every part of his body is just in, is so focused on getting that water, that nourishment. This is my soul thirst for God, the living God. He longs for it and he says, when shall I come and appear before the Lord? He said, I'm longing for that time where I get to stand and I get to be and I get to feel the presence of God. He's longing for it. There's obviously some separation between the, the, the psalmist and, and he feels far away from God. But he's desperate. He's hungry. He's longing fiercely to be in the presence of God. And he says, my tears have been my food, which is just a crazy statement. That means... The only thing that he's done is cry and weep over his situation. Be broken over his situation to the point where his tears have fed him. He's not eaten food. He's not received any sort of nourishment. He's just been focused and dead set on wanting to be next to God. This is day and night. And he's had people mocking him and saying, where is your God? There's, there's people ridiculing you. Look at your situation. Where is your God in this situation? He's, he's being mocked. He's um, being persecuted for what he believes. And people are pointing out that he's in this turmoil, so there must not be a God. And then, then he pauses and he says, these things I remember. As I pray, as I do these things, I, I, remember, I remember the good times. I remember the blessings. I remember the, the praise and the worship that I've experienced in the past. 
I look back and I, I know these things to be true, that, that there's praise and there's worship and there's community and there's fellowship with the Father. He's remembering all these times. And then he looks inwardly and he's, as he's remembering all these things, I, I imagine this smile cracks on the side of his face. And he asks himself this question, he says, why are you downcast in your soul? Why are you cast down in your soul? And why are you... Why are you in turmoil within me? And then he answers his own question. says, hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So he has this kind of dialogue within himself. And he realizes that no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the situation, his hope and his salvation is rested in the Father. So you see this whole, whole thing go, go on where he's just he's longing for God. And he's, he's being turmoil. Um, tormented and, and, and persecuted for, for what he's believing and he realizes that it's going to be okay because he's got God, he's got the Father. He knows where his hope lies. He knows where those, those flowing streams are. He knows what he is supposed to pour his life into and he knows that once again he will be sustained. He knows those things. So the psalmist can, can write what he wrote. It's a beautiful psalm. And it's, it should be something that we as a people desire. We should desire to be that way. To, to live in the same way that the psalmist is living. To spend our days longing for the nourishment that only the Father can bring. To spend our days longing after Christ. To remember even in our hard times that, that God is bigger to remember the times that he's been there and, and, and come through for us in the past, we should remember those things. And after we remember those things, we should look at ourselves with a little smile on our face and says, why, why have I lost my hope? I'm supposed to hope in God. Because he is my salvation. He's done it before he's done it again. That's the aim. That's the purpose. That's the point that we're supposed to, to strive for. However, I would venture a, a guess to say that the majority of you didn't walk in that way this morning. The majority of you did not come in in a rush to find your seat, sitting in your seat with your hands up and like this, going, God, what are you, what are you going to rain down on me today? It's not how the majority of you walked in here this morning. And I can say that because that's not how I walked in here this morning. Walked in here tired, walked in here defeated, walked in here trying to figure out why God was being silent. So I can say that with confidence. You know, many of you, um, many of you are probably just tired. Anybody tired? Yeah, can we be honest? I'm tired. The extra hour of sleep kicks my butt every year. Like we lose it. When I gain it, I love it, but when I lose it, it's awful. So maybe some of you this morning hit the snooze button a few times and and the thought of getting up made you a little crabby. Like, oh, I'm supposed to go to church. Let's get the kids up. Let's go. Let's get ready. And as a parent, I have learned that getting the kids ready is like running the Olympics. Like, y'all that have more than one, bless you. Pray for you always. Because I'm trying to put pants on Adelaide. And she's, you know, doing this and playing with stuff and throwing things. What are you doing? Just calm down. Let me do this. We've been doing this for a long time. You know the routine. 
So it's hard. And so maybe by the time you walked in the room, you were a little tired. Maybe a little bit of it's just nice to sit down and not have something pulling on you or, or trying to get your attention because we have a wonderful kids program that would love to, you know, work with them and pray over them and, and love them that way. You know, maybe some of you are only here this morning because your parents made you come. Or some of you are only here because your parents used to make you come. It's just routine. It's just Jesus Country Club. Maybe that's why you're here this morning. It's just your pattern. It's just your life. It's what you do. You go to church on Sundays. You know, there's a million of reasons for why you might be here this morning. But like I said before, I'd venture to say a lot of you may not just have walked in the doors just jacked up for Jesus, excited and, and, and wanting desperately to hear from him. And, and I believe that, that for some of you, it's, it's based out of one thing. And that thing is spiritual numbness. Spiritual numbness is something that I'd say has hit all of us at one point in time through, through periods. And it's, it's this time where Jesus doesn't really do a whole lot for you. And not that you're like against him. You're not running away from him. You don't think he's awful. You're not blaspheming. You're not doing anything like that. He's just, he's just not what gets you out of bed in the morning. Or you walk in here and you, you, you sing some songs, but, but maybe you've never even thought about the lyrics. You're just, you know, singing words to some song that's got a catchy beat. The, the, the sad truth is that we're designed to be a lot like this psalmist. You know, in the garden, they were, they were in perfect communion. They were together. They, they had fellowship. They longed for God. They got excited to see God as he walked with them in the cool of the, the evening. And, and every day was something new and something exciting and something that they longed for God for. That's what we're designed to do. But because of the fall, because we're fallen, because we're broken people, we get to this place where we just don't want to anymore. It's just too much. Church is hard. People are mean. Life is busy. I hang out with your students. They play so many sports it makes my head spin. And Dave goes to all of them somehow. I don't, I don't understand. It's like he's like seven people. But the routine of life gets us to this place sometimes where, where God's just, it's just kind of a badge we wear. Like I said, not against him. We're just, we're just numb to him. And, and that's what brought this message on. I was sitting in worship last night on this event. There were some good songs, and I'm, I'm singing a little bit. And I even, I even had the, the carry the TV thing going on, where you hold your hands out like this while you're worshiping. Some people go touchdown, I'm a carry the TV kind of guy. I'm singing, and God, and I, I've got all these things processing through my mind. And I do this thing on every youth event where I'm constantly counting the students. I'm like, oh, what if I forgot one? Oh man, wait, wait, did we get him? Is the doors locked? Wait. And so I'm constantly running over these things. So I'm singing, holding my TV, and I'm processing all this stuff. And then it hits me, dude, you've got to preach in the morning. You don't do good when you've got a week to study. Like, you're, you're so anxious about the whole thing. What are you going to do? So words are coming out of my mouth. I've got all this stuff processing. And God just, like, punches me in the back of the head. He said, do you even know what you're doing right now? Do you know what you're singing? 
step back. God speaks to me that way. Sometimes he slaps me in the back of the head. It's the only way he can get my attention. I was like, no. And he, then he asked me a tough question. He said, when was the last time you actually worshipped? When was the last time you actually worshipped? When was the last time you weren't distracted by what was going on at church? I mean, we've got a great band. They do a good job. They lead us in great worship. And so it's not their fault. It's my fault. When's, when's the last time I actually worshipped? And I had to think back. I'm talking, I had to think back, wow. When's the last time you experienced me is, is, is what he asked me. And then he proceeded to, to break me over that fact. To break me over the fact that I wasn't thirsty for him. I didn't long for a connection with my Savior, that I'd let the routine of life, being a dad and, and being a pastor, and, and you can work a lot at the church and completely miss God all day long. So God broke me over that this morning, and, and I had to ask myself this question, how did I get here? How did I get to a place where I'm, I'm callous and judgmental and, and, and hard towards God? He's not done anything to me. How did I get this way? And so that's really what I want us to look at this morning. I, I believe that there's six ways that, that we get to that place of where coming to church is just routine. That we're not thirsty for God anymore. We're, we're, we're satisfied with the Dr. Peppers because they taste a little good, but they don't actually do anything for us. So we're not longing for the pure water, the flowing streams of God. And so the first one is this. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Like I said, we'll be a little bit kind of all over the place, but I, I believe God really has a a strong message in here. Hebrews chapter 10. I believe that the very first way that we start to become callous, start, start to become hard-hearted, start to become numb to God is when we lose our community. Hebrews chapter 10 starting at verse 23, says this. It says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And check out 24. It says, And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as the day is drawing near. So Hebrews would say, the purpose of gathering together isn't just to come sit in a church, but it's for the purpose of stirring one another. Stir them up for good works and for love. And so this kind of fellowship, this assembly, is not just coming in here on a Sunday morning, but it's about getting in intentional community. It's about having somebody up in your grill it's about having somebody that loves you enough to ask you how you're doing. Because let's just be real. Let's be honest. Church like this, it's a little fake sometimes, right? You don't actually know anything about anybody. You go, how are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm fine, George. I'm doing great. And inside you're broken. I don't know who George is. That was just a made-up name. But we're broken inside. And we put on this face. We put on the nice clothes. We show up and we pretend. This is, this is fake sometimes. What the Bible is telling you is that you need genuine community. Life on life. Brother on brother. Sister on sister. This, this relationship where you can be stirred up. Stirred up. And I, like my wife loves hot chocolate. 
and I make it for her every now and then because I like to earn brownie points. And like, you really have to stir that stuff good to get it mixed in because we buy the cheap kind because I'm cheap. And you really have to get in there and go fast or it doesn't mix well. And that's the picture I get when, when God's asking us to be stirred up, to challenge the inside of us, to get these things moving, to get them all meshed together. We've we got to be stirred up in love and for good works. And if you don't have somebody stirring you, well, you don't have the community the Bible is talking about here. You don't get your check mark just by coming and attending service for this verse. That's not what this verse is talking about. And so the more that you come and just sit in a seat and you don't have somebody intentionally pouring into you, the harder and harder you become because all you get is the fake. It's all you get. And the longer you're exposed to fake things, the harder your heart becomes. This is the very first thing is we, we lack community. Turn over to John 15. The next thing that I believe that the person that has a, a harder heart is kind of numb to the church. It's a person that lacks prayer. It's a person that lacks prayer. And it's, it's not this attitude of, I don't believe prayer works. I don't think so much. It's this attitude, and this is the sneaky one. This is the lie that we, we convince ourselves we, we've got going, is, you know what? I can handle this day without God. I don't really have anything big coming up. There's nobody really super sick. Well, there's some colds, but, you know, take care of that with you know, NyQuil. We let ourselves believe that we can get through these small periods of time in our life without prayer. And those, that day or that moment or that situation without prayer becomes a month without prayer, becomes a year without prayer. And before you realize it, you look up and you go, I don't even remember the last time I've talked to God. And scripture would say this in, in John 15, 5. Or starting in 4. This is abide in me and I in you. The branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And I realize this verse has some greater ramifications. It talks about relationship and truly abiding in God is more than prayer. But I believe that prayer is central and focused in this. Because if you're not communicating with God, if you're not talking to God, there is absolutely no way possible that you can be abiding in him. You have to talk to him. You have to pray. You have to be in communication. That's how that works. But we do that. We, we, we come up with these excuses about why we don't pray. I either don't have time, or man, there's just too much, or I, I can make it through this period of time. I've got it. I'm self-sufficient. My finances are good. My situation's good. My wife isn't making me sleep on the couch. There's all kinds of things that we can justify in our mind that life is okay, especially in this Americanized culture where we're pretty self-sustaining. You know, we don't have to farm for bread to make a sandwich. We just go to Bilo or Walmart or Ingalls. We're spoiled. So we don't see that need to pray. We don't see that need to pour into God. And so we don't. I'm telling you, when we stop praying, that hardness just gets thicker. It becomes another layer on the outside of your heart. And it becomes harder and harder for God to penetrate your shell. 
the next one. Go to Proverbs 24. It's like Bible drills in here this morning. Proverbs is after Psalms. Proverbs 24. So you've got community, you've got prayer, and then the third thing is laziness. Just downright laziness. And I'm, I'm going to read from Proverbs uh, 24:30. It says, I passed by the field of a sluggard, which is just a more insulting way to say a lazy dude. Like to be compared to a slug, it's awful. So a sluggard. By the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was overgrown with thorns. And the ground was covered with needles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. So he sees this, and God gave him instruction on the, the, the situation he was looking at. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and won't like an armed man. See, I don't think laziness happens overnight. I think laziness happens with a little bit here. A little bit there, a little bit here, a little bit there. And spiritual laziness is a, is, a, is a slightly different thing. What I mean by spiritual laziness is, I read yesterday. Do I really have to wake up an extra 30 minutes to spend a little time with Jesus? I'll do it later. Well, I'm home. I just got the kids to bed. I really just rather sit back and, and watch TV for a little while. Watch the news for the 14th time. My grandpa does that. Same news over and over again. I don't know why you have to watch it again. We get lazy. And we do this thing where, well, God, this is my time. This is my time. I've worked hard. I've earned it. What that does is that breeds an attitude of spiritual laziness in our lives. Just a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit here. Scripture would say it leads to poverty, and it happens quickly. And in this case, we're talking spiritual poverty. You put off praying. You put off reading. You put off talking to somebody that you know. You, you put off going to church. You put off going to the trips. And eventually, your life is void of anything spiritual at all. Because you let a little bit of laziness slip in. The Christian life is one of self-discipline. You can't be somebody that follows after God daily and takes up his cross and sacrifices himself without a little self-discipline. Because the church, especially in America, is spiritually lazy. We don't want to fight. We don't want to read. We don't want to come up with the hard things, which is why most churches, and I'm not going to name any because that gets too personal, most churches would rather come up and ask a pastor what the answer to a question is rather than find it themselves. We've got Google. Read a bunch of sources. Use your scripture. Figure it out for yourself. If you want to know who won the baseball game, you look it up. It's easier because we just assume this, oh, it's too big. It's too much for me. I, I just can't do it. Spiritual laziness. And like I said, it just one we're separated from community. We're lacking prayer. And then we add laziness on top of this. It's another shell. Turn to Matthew 7. Matthew 7, we're going to look at verses 1 through 6. 
And I believe here, here we may be poking some people. Because this is a, an epidemic in the church. Matthew 7, verses 1 through 6, it says this, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You don't know how to get spiritually numb. You start judging other people more than you judge yourself. You start tearing other people down around you and never actually look internally to the gunk that's inside you. I don't like the way she dresses. That music's too loud. The colored carpet's too weird. It's too hot. It's too cold. I don't like this church. That dude's got spiky hair. This guy's got long hair. And tattoos. You start to look at the outside of a, a person. You tear them down and you judge them. And what that does is it puts us on this pedestal. It's like, better than that guy. Better than that girl. You know what she did. Way better than that. And somehow we get this right and this privilege ingrained in us that, that, that we can judge other people. And because we're better, we don't actually have to do anything with ourselves. We don't have to do anything. Because we're the high, noble priest people. When you start looking at your brother in judgment, or sister in judgment, and A, you're only judging them because you want to feel better about yourself and you're not judging them in an effort to help them, which is what biblically is accurate. You judge people so that you can assess where they are, so that you can help them get closer to Christ. That's not your attitude. One, it's sin. And two, what it does is it stops you from allowing the Spirit to reveal things about your own self and you stop looking inward. And then you have all this festering sin that goes unattended. You have all this stuff inside you that is, is warring against the spiritual side of you. Guys, if, if we spend more time judging the other people around us than we do our, ourselves, then, then the Bible would call you a hypocrite. Scripture would say, hypocrite, first work on yourself. Take the tree out of your eye, and then you can see clearly to take the speck out of the other person's eye. When you get spiritually numb, you stop looking inward and you start looking outward to other people and justify your actions. And that's how a lot of the church lives. A very judgmental culture. And hear me, it is perfectly biblically accurate to judge somebody for the sake of helping them. But when you lose that last part, you are in sin. One more, and, and or two more a lot. First Timothy. These last two will go quick. First Timothy. And I really wanted to hit this one because I believe that this is a this is a problem with a with a section of the church. And I just, I'm covering all my bases here so that everybody here that has a spiritual numbness in their heart will will be hit somewhere. First Timothy chapter one verses five. Through seven says this. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and good conscience and sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things in which they make confident assertions. 
when you start spending all of your time hanging out in theology and learning and studying about God and you forget to apply it to real people, your heart can become hard because you know a lot about God and completely miss God. I don't care how smart you are theologically, if you don't come at it with the aim of our charge is, is love that issues from a pure heart, love that issues from a pure heart, say it again, love that issues from a pure heart, then your theology stinks. I heard it a long time ago, and I will take it to my grave as some of the best advice I ever got. You can be right all day long, but if you handle it wrong, you're wrong. If it's not out of love and a pure heart, then I don't care what you know. And that's what happens to people. They get a little bit of knowledge about Jesus. They start arguing about things that are probably a little bit over their head, to be honest with you. They feel self-righteous, and they use it to beat people down. Several years back, that's, that's the whole Westboro movement. Picketing, super aggressive against, against sin and stuff like that. They lost love in a pure heart. You've got those people in the church. They just want to argue doctrine and argue different stuff. And they've missed that we're supposed to love people with that doctrine. Last one. I'm not going to make you flip anywhere. Is pain. So all these things we, we looked at, we got community, prayer, a lack of community, lack of prayer, laziness, this, this judgmental attitude, and this intellectualism. All these things can cause you to have a hard heart, but the, the biggest one I believe is pain. We all go through a lot of junk in our lives. I mean, right now, the, the list of people in the church that has cancer is way too long. One would be way too long, but still, you get my point. People lose jobs. People go through friendship losses. There's all kind of things. Friends stab you in the back. People that you were very, very close to, turns out they weren't very close to you at all. Family drama, work drama. There's all kinds of pain. But on top of all these other things, when pain hits, that's the last straw for a lot of people. And then you become what I like to call a spiritual jawbreaker. Anybody ever read a jawbreaker? Yeah? Yeah. Thanks, Gina. Appreciate it. Um, those things break your teeth. And they're presented as candy, but they're actually awful. Suck on them for four days, and they're, they're the same size. But your heart kind of becomes that. And when you look at a, a jawbreaker, when you break it apart, if you hit it with a hammer, there's multiple layers in some of them. Different colors, different stuff, different conditions. And I believe that that's the spiritual condition of a lot of people's hearts. Spiritual jawbreakers. All these layers of pain and, and lack of, of discipline and lack of community and lack of prayer has created this calloused heart. And so what happens to that person is they walk in on Sunday mornings and no matter how amazing the message is, not that Scott preaches an amazing message or that I preach an amazing message, but God preaches messages in here. It's all his word. No matter how accurate, no matter how point on that it is for your situation, you can sit in a service like this and go, sure did like that music. Let's go eat. And it's all you walk away with because your heart is calloused. 
Your heart is hard. Your heart is, is so hard that the word of God can't pierce it. And Hebrews talks a lot about stuff, people that have a super, super hard heart that God can't pierce. Pharaoh in Egypt was very, very similar. Saw God, saw God, saw God, and after every time his heart got harder and harder and harder and harder and harder. And it's those people that it becomes harder and harder for them to get to a place where they're repentful. The harder your heart gets, the farther away from God you get, and the harder it gets to come back. That's why God has to use a hammer and a chisel, just like you have to get through that jawbreaker, to get some people's attention. I mean, he took me to the point of suicide and knocked me off a motorcycle one time. He had to go twice for me to get me back to a place where I'd listen because I was hard and I was callous. And I believe there's some people in this room that are that way. But for the encouraging part of the message, all you have to do to get back to that gummy bear spirituality, if you want to go squishy, um, keep my candy reference, is, is work this system backwards. So what do you need to do? You need to take that pain that you've been dealing with and you need to deal with it. You actually face it. It's the scariest thing in the world, but you actually have to look your demons face to face sometimes. You can't cower to them because the one that lives inside of you is greater than anything that could be staring back at you. With the power of Christ, there's not a pain or a heartache that's too great or too big. But you have to deal with it. God can give you the power. He can give you the strength. He can give you the energy. But until you stop cowering in the corner and look at that thing dead in the eyes, you don't move on from it. And that pain will always be there. That hurt will always be there. But you can remember that situation and go, that was a hard time, but God rescued me. There's a difference. When you're focused on the rescue and not the situation, that's how you know that you've gotten over it. You deal with the pain. Psalms 147.3 says he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. That's a promise. It's a promise. That if you will start to walk through these difficulties, God will heal. Next thing we have to do is, is, is we have to look at ourselves and analyze where we truly are. When's the last time God smacked you in the back of the head and said, Hey man, you ain't got it together. Because every person in here is dealing with a sin, big or little. And if, as I say that, you go, I don't really think I'm dealing with anything, you're a liar. And that's scripture, not me. If there's anyone that says he is without sin, he is a liar. Maybe it's time that you looked inwardly and said, okay, let's, let's, let's stop looking at other people for just a second. Let's really see, what is it that I've got going on? And I promise you, as soon as you start looking in, you're going to go, oh, gross. And no, that was there. God will reveal, God will show. The next thing you need to ask yourself is, are you, are you studying a lot about God or do you actually know him? Because it's the knowing him that's important. You start to analyze where you are in that situation as well. And then you stop being lazy and prioritize Jesus over the rest of your life. You've got to start making some efforts to get back to where you can hear from God. If you're not coming to church, well, it would probably help if you come. If your Bible has dust on it, maybe wipe the thing off. Flip open to something. I'd invite you to, to John or Luke. Those are great books to learn about Jesus. Read something. Pray. We've got to pray. 
And even when you don't want to pray, pray. Because what I found in the moments that I realized, or that I started to go, God, there's too much to pray for. I don't want to pray. Or I've got other stuff to do. As soon as I start praying, that's when I look up and it's been an hour and a half and I'm going, apparently I did need to pray. We've got to pray. We've got to get back into these routines of, of spending time with God. And the last one is we've got to get better at community. We've got to get better at community. You need somebody in your life. I am fortunate enough to have four people in my life. Sometimes that's a blessing, sometimes it's a curse. Because when you've got four people telling you that you're wrong, it's really hard to argue. If Scott is in my life, Blake is in my life. A guy named Tyler Dover is in my life. I've got Tommy in my life. And these men have full permission to look at me and say, you're messing up here. My wife is in my life. And she'll let me know. Because she loves me and she wants me to be the best that I possibly can be. These men and women in my life want me to be the greatest Christian that I can, I can attain to. That's what you need. Real, genuine community. And hear me, I know that we've only got a few small groups, but there's a women's ministry. They meet on Saturday mornings. Jennifer Babb would love to have you. She's amazing. Spend some time with her. The Jesus that she like pours out, it'll catch on you and you can walk away with some. Olivia and, and Stormy and, and Janae are, are doing events. They're working on stuff. Corey is working on a men's group. They're actually meeting on the 20th, the day before Surf Saturday. You can spend a whole weekend getting your Jesus on. We have discipleship development. And, and here's the crazy thing, and this is just, I know it's wild, I know it's radical. You can make friends. You're just friends. Church doesn't have to organize your friendships. Just meet somebody that's sitting near you and say, hey, it seems like you love Jesus. I love Jesus. Let's get coffee. Have people in your life who will challenge you and love you. Have real community. That's the only way that we're going to ever get out of our numbness. If you look at those things, you take those examples, and I know there's more, but those are the big ones that, that God really pressed upon my heart this morning. If we want to get out of our spiritual numbness, we really want to get to a place where we can look at this psalm in, in Psalm 42. If we, that's the goal. That's the aim. To get back to that scripture where it says, I long for you. I pant for you like a deer pants for water. That in this race, in this life, in this craziness, I need you, Jesus. I've got to have you. I've got to have you like, like I need water. Guys, you got to ask yourself this morning, when's the last time you were thirsty? When's the last time you, you said, man, I've got to have some Jesus? When's the last time you picked up your Bible excited to hear from him? When's the last time that you were, you were broken over worship? When's the last time you thought about these lyrics? When's the last time that you, you had a, a deep conversation with somebody about who God is and, and got excited for what go, is going on? Church, are you thirsty? Do you long for him? Do you pant for him? Do you pant for that living water? Are you spending all your time drinking Dr. Pepper, getting more of indigestion and headache? Because if you're not thirsty, you're missing it. And so I ask you guys this question as the back up. I just want to ask you one simple question. How long has it been? How long has it been? Has it ever been? That's a whole other set of problems. If you said, Tyler, I, I don't remember a time that I've actually gotten excited for Jesus. 
I don't remember a time that I've actually thirsted for him on the level that the psalmist is talking about. Then maybe you need to taste living water for the first time. Jesus says, I am the living water. He talks to the woman at the well. He said, if, if, if you knew and you understood, I would give you a living water, an eternal water that, you would, that would never run dry. Jesus is saying he is life. He will give you eternal life. He will give you that eternal relationship with him where you won't have to look elsewhere in the world to satisfy that thirst that in him you can find eternal satisfaction. So where are you at, church? When's the last time you were thirsty? When's the last time that you longed for God or you panted for God? And if it's been a while, I, I ask you to challenge yourselves. Is it lack of community? Is it lack of prayer? Is it laziness? Are you just spending your time learning stuff about God without actually knowing Him? Are you judgmental? Or is there some deep-set pain locked inside your heart that you won't let go of? I'm going to ask you that, that you would bring it to this altar and you would leave it here. Whatever's making you numb, whatever's making you far away from God, that, that today would be the day that you said, you know what, God, that is an issue in my life. But today's the day that I do something about it. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to trust you. So I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what level of, of hardness is in your heart or numbness is in your heart. But I pray that God would convict every person in this room the same way that he convicted my heart. And that we would walk out here, a church unified and united over thirsting for their Lord and Savior. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for these people. Because I, I genuinely believe that there's people in this congregation that want you more than anything else. But also know that there are some in this room that don't. That sports or work or their family or just the busyness of, of their day-to-day -day is, is far more important than you are. And they get into these hard situations and they wonder, where's God? Where's God? And they can't, like the psalmist could, remember the good times, remember where he was, and they, it, because their heart's too hard to really remember those things. God, well, I pray that you would break those people this morning. I pray that you would penetrate that jawbreaker that lives inside of them busted open and that they would be able to feel you again maybe for the first time maybe just a refreshing newness coming over their heart God but either way I pray that you would break people and that this group this morning March 8th a New Life Baptist Fellowship that we would feel you once again in your name I pray Amen